Today on Take a Minute, we have environmental specialist at Wild Rose Education, Sarah Johnson, who recently traveled to the Arctic on polar science experience. She is here today to tell us about her experience and field of study. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Tell us about yourself and the title of environmental education specialist. <laughs> My, well, I'm Sarah Johnson, and I've been here in the Roaring Fork Valley since 2006, always working as an environmental educator in some capacity. And I originally came to work at ACES in Aspen in 2006, and then I ended up working at the Roaring Fork Conservancy for seven or eight years. And then now for the last seven years, I've had this gig that I created called Wild Rose Education. And Wild Rose Education is just me. It's my little business where I able to work with really neat projects all over the state of Colorado and sometimes around the country and most recently sometimes around the world, um, helping people do environmental education better, helping a lot of times the teams that I'm on these days, I'm working with technical experts or people I like to call the ologists. So the climatologists and the biologists and the geologists and all these different um, folks, helping them become better teachers of their their specific um, field. You recently went to the Arctic. What got you interested in going up there in the first place? In 2019, a local retired educator that many people know named Susie Ellison, she was a high school science teacher at Yampa Mountain High School for many years. She highly recommended that I apply for this program called Polar Trek because she had done the program herself a number of years ago where she got paired up with a scientist researcher and went up into the Arctic and did Arctic research. And so she she encouraged me to apply in 2019, and I did after she reminded me many times to make sure I did it. Um, I was selected in December of 2019, um, and I will say that I, I've never really dreamed of going to the Arctic Ocean, and I had never dreamed of being part of an Arctic science team. But what I did and have always had a passion for is doing science outside, doing field science and being really careful observer of the natural world and being able to look for patterns and be able to make really good observations and then communicate those observations because that is what scientists do. And to be able to do that outside in beautiful places like where we live is really special. And I also love adventures and love wilderness adventures and all types of adventure that I've ever been able to be part of. And so this combination of going on an epic adventure to a polar region, such as the Arctic or the Antarctic, and combining that with science just sounded like a natural fit. And so I, I applied. And I found out that I was selected right when we came down. I was in an airplane landing in Dallas on my way home for Christmas vacation. And I found that's when I found out that I had been selected. What did you study while you were in the Arctic? So I'm part of the International Arctic Buoy Program. And the International Arctic Buoy Program is housed at the University of Washington in Seattle. The International Arctic Buoy Program is responsible for making observations of current conditions in the Arctic of both the weather and of sea ice, depending on, it depends on which instrumentation is being um, used at the moment. And so that data that's collected is measuring temperature and air pressure 
And sometimes it's measuring the conditions of the sea ice as well, in addition to the location. So it has there's GPS and time. And so it's pretty simple data. It's just that to get the instruments out on the sea ice in the Arctic Ocean is really complex as compared to putting a weather station on a buoy maybe in like the Gulf of Mexico. It's just the, to get the buoy into that, into that location is super complex. And so the International Arctic Buoy Program coordinates observation data across the entire Arctic Ocean. And so there's many, many countries that are interested in the Arctic Ocean. And there's many different scientists and research institutions and universities, and the list goes on, of folks that are interested in what's happening in the Arctic. And so the International Arctic Buoy Program, we don't necessarily do all of the observation work, but we make sure that the data that all these different institutions are collecting is found in like one spreadsheet on one website so that it's accessible to anybody that can use it. And so it's free to anybody that can use that data. So the military uses that data, climate scientists use that data, the weather forecasters that make our forecasts here in Colorado use that data. The data is used primarily by weather models, and those weather models inform our weather forecasts here in the lower 48 as well as all around the world. What did you learn while you were there specifically? This spring, I went to northern Alaska to the coast of the Arctic Ocean at Utiagvik, Alaska, otherwise known as Barrow Point or Point Barrow. And we, my team, we deployed about a dozen buoys. And the buoys that we deployed measure temperature and air pressure and position and time. And we deployed those buoys, Some a f- number of them we deployed about 100 miles north of the coast out on the sea ice. We flew a helicopter out on the sea ice a hundred miles. And then we we t- made sure the batteries were all working and we made sure the buoys were turned on and we literally left them out there on the sea ice. And here over the last couple of weeks, I've been paying attention to the data that those buoys are sending to us through satellite um, communication. And w- these are long. Well, we're, we are we're collecting data. The data is happening. The, the the buoys are moving because the, they're sitting on top of sea ice, and so that means that they are collecting data for the next year or so. And that data is hap- getting transmitted and communicated every day. And the buoys will also not only tell us about the weather, but they also their position tells us about how the sea ice is moving around the Arctic Ocean. And right now they're they're moving in a westerly direction, getting caught into the the Beaufort Gyre um, direction, which is a clockwise rotation of of a section of the Arctic Ocean north of Alaska. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. <laughs> okay, you got the buoys out there, and they're going to sit there for the next year or so and collect data about the weather and changing. So. Yeah, and the buoys aren't they're they're constantly moving. So they're oh. mo- because they're sitting on top of sea ice and the sea ice is moving. And so they will we we can track them on a map and they're constantly moving and most likely they will um go in this clockwise d- direction most likely unless they get caught in a storm and go another place. But they will they may eventually end up over by Greenland 
and depending on how quickly the currents move and so forth. How long were you gone for up there? I was only up there for about 12 days. It was pretty short. It felt very short. Do you wish you could go back sooner or stayed longer? Yes. I I feel like I just got a taste of this landscape or oceanscape, you might say. Um, I will really, really wish I would have been able to have more time just out in on the sea ice and out on the beach. Um, it was negative 30 degree wind chills the, pretty much the entire time we were there. And yet it, we were basically having spring break at the ocean. Everywhere we were was right on the coast, but it was all white. <laughs> and so you, we never saw open water um, from the coast. We only saw open water from the helicopter. And so we were just jokingly just talking about how we were, this is like, you know, spring break at the beach, but we just were wearing way more clothes than most people wear at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> what was something that surprised you on the trip? I think a lot kind of to connect with what I was just saying, I think I, when I go exploring in places, I find it really important to just find quiet time to be in places, whether it's out in the mountains or next to a river, out in the desert. And it's really important for me and my my soul, I guess, to be very much in the space and and be able to really have that multi-sensory experience of that place. And what surprised me, I think, about where we were is how that was that was a difficult thing to do because of a couple of reasons. First of all, it was just so cold. It was harsh conditions when it's negative 30 um, wind chills and then pretty much consistent wind and very cold. But also you can't just go exploring like we do around here in Colorado because if you just go exploring out on the sea ice and like climb up and over all these big old chunks of sea ice, you're at the risk of being attacked by a polar bear. And if you don't have a shotgun, you're you really it's unsafe. <laughs> and so the polar bears, what I was surprising to me is that I did not necessarily understand before I went that how much the polar bears really do rule the sea ice and and they're so camouflage and they're so um, they're a lot more aggressive than bears like brown bears or even grizzly bears. We couldn't just go, I couldn't just go for a walk it was very easily and that was surprising to me and, and very different than any other kind of like adventures and explorations I've had in the past. And because I don't have a shotgun, but we did so what when we did science on the sea ice, when we were installing different equipment via, we went out on snowmobiles on the sea ice, we went on the helicopter. Each time we would go out, we always would go with, um, we would hire a local bear guard and the bear guards would go with us and they had their shot, they had a shotgun and not because they were going to shoot the bear, but they had a, a series of strategies and they would start with just loud noise just to hopefully scare the bear. And then they, I think they had rubber bullets if necessary um, to shoot the bear with rubber bullets. And if that still didn't work, then they may have to shoot the polar bear. But nobody wants to shoot a polar bear. That's their last resort. But just to keep us safe, that is the strategy. Um, bear, bear spray is not enough in northern Alaska at the ocean. Are you planning to go back anytime soon? 
I would love to go back. I hope to go back to just um, just this week. We're talking about the possibilities of logistics of what it means to go back in the late summer, um, not necessarily the northern Alaska, but more so either off the coast of Greenland or northern the Northwest Territories of Canada. And we wouldn't go out on snowmobiles because at that time of year, the the fast ice or the ice that's fastened to the shore is most likely broken off and no longer there. And we wouldn't go out on a helicopter. But what we would do is go out in a C-130 military plane. And those are the massive airplanes that they like load tanks into. And what would happen is we would fly over the Arctic Ocean and we would open the back of the plane and we would throw really big large buoys out the back that have parachutes on them. And so when they land on the ocean, they would land more calmly than just a big splat. And um, and so that possibility is there potentially for me to go back. In the future, there are definitely possibilities. I My team is a fantastic team of scientists, and we actually have an artist on our team as well. And I would love to work with them as much as I can in the future. What do you do for work when you're back in the valley? So my work with Wild Roads Education is working on a lot of projects right now that are actually not right here in the Roaring Fork Valley. I'm I'm working on some projects with the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. Uh, We work together to offer teacher workshops around water and water in the West. And we're doing a, a workshop that's all about storytelling and water equity. So if there's any teachers listening, they should apply to participate in that workshop. We'll even give you a stipend. I also teach some courses over at Western Colorado University in Gunnison. And so those are some of my big projects right now. And times in the past, I've run programs and created programs such as the Youth Water Leadership Program that engaged a lot of young people here in this community. I spend a lot of time at Third Street Center and work on projects that have taken a very virtual format, especially, of course, in the last couple of years. Going into the Float the Boat program yeah. questions, since that's coming up, can you tell us what it is and what's happening with it? My role in this entire International Arctic Buoy Program is I'm the education officer for our team. And part of my responsibility in that role is to share the stories of science in my community. And so I am offering, in partnership with all every library between Aspen and Parachute, during the third week of May, to do programs. I'm going to share out at the libraries, and I'm going to bring up an actual buoy. There, I saw it today. It's going to be shipped here. And so you get to see what an Arctic weather buoy actually looks like. And I'm going to share stories and pictures and potentially even share my Arctic outfit that I was wearing when it was negative 30 wind chills. And in addition to all of that, I will also have a collection of little eight inch long wooden boats that are part of a project that's the the International Arctic Buoy Program's outreach project, which is called Float Your Boat. And we work with community members and young people all mostly it has happened in Seattle um, because that's where the university is. But it's going, we're going to have a very large Colorado presence this spring. And when you come to the library, you are going to get to learn about the Arctic, but you're also going to get to decorate a wooden boat with markers and things. And then we will send those boats back to Seattle, and then they will get put on the, the Healy, which is a U.S. Coast Guard icebreaker. And they will get sent to the North Pole this summer, late summer. 
and they will be set next to a buoy. And so we will be able to track the buoy on the sea ice and all the boats next to the buoy. And so you will get to follow your wooden boat um, on a map, on a website, and not only see where it goes, but also maybe even learn how the Arctic Ocean moves and how the sea ice moves. And potentially in five years or something, your boat might wash up on shore in some place like Iceland or Scotland or Norway or somewhere in the Atlantic region. And someone might turn your boat in and have a story to tell. And just recently, there's been a handful of boats that have washed up on on shore in those locations that were deployed in 2015 from the same icebreaker with the Coast Guard. And so it's a pretty awesome opportunity to to do something really fun and be part of a place that's so far from here. Um, and yet that place has such an impact on us every day, weapons with our weather and, and so forth. So those library programs, like I said, there's a library program happening in every p- library between Aspen and Parachute and the libraries are partner making all that happen. And you can find the whole schedule of those programs um, at wildroseeducation.com slash Arctic, or you can just pick your favorite library and be in contact with them and find out which day and time, because there's a variety of days and times to hopefully meet different people's schedules. Can you explain how you actually track the boats before they wash up on shore, like how the map system works? So there's a website called floatboat.org that you can visit and you can actually go see the map on there right now if you so desire. And you can see where the boats are that were deployed in the last couple years. And so the boats themselves are just wooden pieces of cedar. <laughs> we brand them with a website, the floatboat.org website, and then a number. And then we keep track on a spreadsheet <laughs> where the boats are as far as which icebreaker they go out on or which deployment they ha- go out on. And then once they're set out on the ocean or on the sea ice, they get set next to a buoy. The buoy has all the instruments in it that's sending data through a satellite communication system. The little wooden boats don't actually have any instruments on them. And so what happens is we can track the wooden boats for a a year or two as long as the buoy is still sending a signal because they still have the batteries are still working. And then after that, we can't really track the boat anymore. It's kind of like it's just out there and eventually it may land on, you know, wash up on shore like these few that people have reported recently. What advice do you have for people that are interested in the field you're working in? Stay curious, (laughs) ask lots of questions, learn everything. I once had a professor in college that told me we were about to embark on a Grand Canyon science trip on the river, and he said, just learn everything. Um, And so I've always held on to that um, because I think it is important to to learn how to do something really well, whether that's learning how to be an accountant or how to be a teacher or how to be a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist, whatever your skill is, but do it really well and then stay curious about everything else. And I like to tell people I like to learn things from the rocks to the politics to learn a place. And so stay curious about how things work. Don't get too specialized um, and too narrow of a focus because you miss out on the richness of life and the, the richness of how the world really 
is a whole and a system and a holistic perspective. And so I get to work with young people pretty often, both high school students and undergraduates and young young adults. And I what I see and what I encourage is that they, they learn a skill, learn how to do something really well. And then you can apply that to whatever you care about. So maybe you really like art or you really like technology. Learn how to do those things really well and then apply them to your passion, which may be social justice issues or environmental issues or um, whatever your issue may be that you're really passionate about. But don't just study the issue. Learn a skill that you can contribute to that issue. Is there anything else you'd like to add to any of the things we've talked about today? Can I tell you about the people I met? Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) So we went to this place called Utiagvik, Alaska, and that's its original um, Inupiaq name. Through colonialization, it got named Barrow, Alaska, so a lot of people know of that place. But it, in 2016, it went back to its original name of Utiagvik. And Utiagvik, when we think about towns and people within the Arctic Circle, Utiagvik is actually a pretty big city. However, it's only a town of just under 5,000 people. And some people would call it a village. And it has a hospital. It has an um, elementary school and middle school and a high school. And it has all these people that live there, which a large percentage of them are Native Alaskans. And, and many of, not just Native Alaskans, but indigenous Inupiaq people. And so we got to make some friends with some of these people. And my colleague, Ignatius, or Dr. Ignatius Rigger from the University of Washington, he's been going up to Utiagvik many, many times over the last about 12 years or so. And so he's gotten to know people. And so we, he shared his relationships with people with the rest of our team and gave us a chance to get to know some of these people. And one of the things we got to do was go to a, there was a Fish and Wildlife Service annual spring meeting, and it was just a public community meeting. And so we went and we knew based on the flyer we had seen that they were going to have soup and donuts. And so we were very curious about soup and donuts. So the soup they served, uh, we met the the elder who had made the soup. Uh, there was caribou soup and goose soup and eider soup. Eiders are um, large ducks that live in the Arctic. And so we got to eat food of the place. And then the donuts, they weren't actually like sweet donuts. They were more like savory, just bread that was fried in the shape of a donut. And that meeting and that experience that evening was really special because we got an opportunity to learn about subsistence hunting and how it has been a part of the culture since time immemorial that people in this place have been whaling and hunting and eating polar bears and eating goose and ducks and caribou and all these different um, wildlife that they have this, I would say, a spiritual relationship with but also not only a spiritual relationship, but a subsistence relationship with. And it was just a really neat opportunity to, to understand a bit more of the culture, because even though it is the United States, it felt like we were in a foreign country. While we were there, there was a spring festival happening that had a very long Anupiaq name that I don't remember how to say. And, but it was the celebration of the beginning of whaling season. And so bowhead whales are an incredibly important part of the lifeways of the Nupiak people. 
and they were celebrating by the spring celebration. They were, we went to a parade. It was kind of like a Carbondale parade. It only lasted a very like 10 minutes and they it was negative 30 degree wind chills and they still had a parade. They're hardcore. We went, I got to see some whale, um, whaling team wooden sled races as well as learned about the goose calling competition. And one of our bear guards, he actually won the goose calling competition and they don't use a wooden goose call. They do it all with their mouth and their tongue. And it was unbelievably amazing what he could do. And, and then the prizes um, for the goose calling competition were Martin, he, who won, he won, a, he won a new shotgun and a box of shells. And then the, the whaling team wooden sled races, their prizes were barrels of gasoline as their prizes. It was amazing. Like, these are really valuable items to people in this community. So it was just really, really neat to form some, some relationships with people over food and stories and... It was really special. Well, thank you for joining us. And thanks for having me. It's so great that you're interested. And um, thanks for sharing the stories here with the Andy Zanka Youth Empowerment Program and, of course, with Katie and Kay. Thanks for listening to Take a Minute. I'm your host, Annie B. Today you heard from Sarah Johnson about her experience in the Arctic. If you want to learn more about the float boat program taking place from May 18th to May 26th, go to wildroseeducation.com.